Hey, player two, you're awake. It's me, Kitty M, the All Geek, here to take you through the land of Pod. It's pretty wild out there at the moment. I'm gonna ruin Sabrina by pointing out that the witch trials were an actual horrific thing that happened in our history, and but don't worry, I'm also gonna be really mean to Bill Maher. Oh, and I really like Shira. Come on, player two. Let's roll. Player two, come in, sit down. You have missed out on so much news in the land of Pod. Let me get you up to date. Okay, firstly, Magical Girl Special Ops Atsuka is being made into an anime. That should be out in January, but when it hits for places like Australia is anyone's guess. The story is basically this. The undead start walking the earth, a rose gives some girls some cool powers to defend earth, and it all goes really well the first time, but now the threat is back. The animation looks nice, and I mean, it's Magical Girls. I don't see how this isn't at least a little bit interesting. It's not Sailor Moon, but so few things are, because there's really only like one or two Sailor Moons maybe three different versions. I don't know, I'm not that into Sailor Moon, but this looks cool because it's got Undead. Also coming out in January is the School Live live action. I don't want to tell you too much about this player too, because I went into it not knowing much at all, and after the first episode I was hooked. It's an anime series that is one of the most breathtaking I've ever watched. Not for the visuals, though those are pretty good, but the storytelling. And I don't want to give anything away, though I'm sure one day I'll do a horror list for you in the land of pod and school life will be on it. But let me tell you this, I'm a big Love Live fan, which is an anime about a group of uh, schoolgirls who start an idol band to save their school and then decide, hey, we like being an idol group. The group was called Muse, and when those students managed to graduate, it meant I was waiting for a while for the next Love Live idol group. So I went looking for something new. School Live looked exactly like what I would be into. There were cute anime girls in a school. Obviously they were idols. I did not read what it was about, because I was wrong in just assuming it was the best time to be wrong ever. You should watch it player two then. Wait with me in January to see if it gets a release in Australia because we should definitely go and see that. Another cool anime style news. You know how Castlevania is the best thing ever, at least like top 10? Well, the producers of Castlevania anime, animation, depending on how you want to define those things, are now turning their sights to Devil May Cry. Another game which I have not played, but I'm interested in the world of. It's all being made all the more interesting because it's going to be part of, according to Arishikar, a bootleg multiverse combining Castlevania and Devil May Cry. Now, you may not know who Shankar is. First, he's one of the people you get to thank for the awesomeness that is the Castlevania animation. He also led a rather amazing crowdsourced effort to make the Apu character in The Simpsons be less problematic after the documentary The Problem with Apu by Hari Kondabulu pointing out how problematic Apu is. Of course, the response from the Simpsons team was to kill off Apu. I would have just gone with the crowdfunded solution, which sounded pretty good, or something like it. Anyway, so we're getting a Devil May Cry animation, and I'm here for it. In other news that I am also here for, John Cryer is going to be Lex Luthor in the Supergirl series, and I kind of see it. While he's always played a dopey character in my eyes, I think Cryer has what it takes. To be fair to Cryer, I don't follow his career very closely, as I do someone like Ethan Embry, who was also a child-slash-teen actor who played some pretty goofy roles and then went on to be in some awesome schlock-style horrors like Devil's Candy and Cheap Thrills. For the old kids and the beardies out there, you know Cryer most famously for his character Ducky in Sixteen Candles. It was 
so it's probably difficult to see him as Luther. But then Anthony Michael Hall, who was the nerd in The Breakfast Club, went on to be a pretty convincing psychic who verged on creepy and maybe psychotic in the dead zone. He was able to leave the nerd at the door for that one, so... I assume Cryer will be able to do the same. Also, it's kind of because John Cryer played Luther's nephew in one of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. So, you know, this is like it going full circle. You know? I know, play it too. I haven't mentioned Stan Lee. I don't think there's much I can add about Stan Lee. I wasn't his, one of his greatest fans, so I figured just send my condolences to people who were sad. I mean, of course, that's not what everyone else did. So we're going to have to go to the abyss. Play it too. Come on, let's roll. Welcome to the abyss. It's because of Bill Maher. Usually we're at the trash fire, but Bill Maher is a walking abyss of usefulness, so I thought this would be more appropriate. If you haven't read Bill Maher's blog post on Stan Lee, I know, how could we all have missed it? I eagerly await every word he has to say too. You've likely read articles about what Bill Maher has had to say. The basics of what he's getting at is to not send his condolences to the legions of Stan Lee fans who have felt they've lost one of the guiding lights of pop culture that enabled them to escape, that boosts their belief in doing what's right. No, instead Bill Maher wanted to hear his own voice blaming them for the problems of the world. Now, he's apparently pretending that this blog is satire? I think? I don't know. I try not to know anything about Bill Maher at any given time. There are far more urgent and, let's be honest, more relevant people we need to be disputing. But I did read his blog post. And if it was satire, then we can only add that to the list of things that Bill Maher is substandard at, but keeps doing anyway to the detriment of others. Now, I don't pretend to know what goes on in Bill Maher's head. I imagine it's incredibly boring, with the occasional firing of neurons that recreate a thought or argument that's already been dismissed, or that is so badly formed that it needs to be fired with great vitriol to make it look like it's soaring above the stratosphere of normal thought, rather than the reality, which is that it's merely a limping excuse for an idea. Bill Maher thinks the world is a dump because people don't grow up and do away with childish things like comic books and that's why everything is terrible. He made this the focus of his Stanley post rather than just saying, hey, isn't it sad that that guy died and people are sad about it? Or by, oh, I don't know, not saying anything at all, which is something Bill Maher just can't do. He should try it sometime though. Yeah, because that is why the world is terrible. It's not because we have rich white dudes saying the N-word on television and then complaining because they're not allowed to. That's not the contributing factor. It's definitely the comic book movies. Right, Bill? If you don't know who Bill Maher is and you're, like, wondering why everyone cares so much, well, kind of same. I don't know why anyone cares about Bill Maher. I'm also very jealous of you for not knowing about who Bill Maher was before now. You obviously missed the time that Ben Affleck completely called him out for his wrong ideas about Islam. And I also want to express regret because I'm going to be the person who tells you about Bill Maher. I'm sorry. I'm going to explain Bill Maher to you very simply. To call Bill Maher's lack of introspection shallow is to insult puddles, who have only ever held water, which is a great deal more than any Bill Maher argument could hope to achieve. His only talent is to drop hot, messy takes from such a lofty position that they land with force, not taking out defined targets, but instead splattering everyone who is unfortunate enough to be near. For his part, he then walks away under the smug umbrella of his incorrect assumption that he's edgy as hell. 
and once he might have been, but now he's about as predictable as a spoiled child's tantrum when they're told to wait their turn because the adults are having a conversation. In this instance, like so many others, Bill Maher is just a derivative pile of trash. And while I'd love to ignore him, and I thought about ignoring him, his points need to be addressed. Not for his sake, because he certainly isn't interested in what I have to say, because, well, I'm not Bill Maher, and thank the gods for that. It's fine by me, because I'm not interested in educating a cashed-up toff who decides to rattle his keyboard at all these oversized adult kids on his lawn watching all the Super Batman movies, because that's why the world is bad. Yeah, Bill, that's it. The thing is, I know we're all going to encounter people who do agree with him, and it's coming up to holiday time, So we know this is going to maybe be a discussion at the dinner table. And those people, I think, should be talked to. Not with derision or sarcasm, though. These ideas, while obvious to comic book fans and nerds and geeks in general, are not obvious to everyone. That doesn't make those people stupid. It makes them uninformed. If you know something and someone else doesn't, you tell them. You don't gatekeep. So here's some starting points. Comics, not Stanley, who was great at what he did, he was not all of comics, were part of and continue to be a thread in the tapestry that told us democracy was great, in a time when the clouds of fascism threatened to break over our heads. In World War II, pop culture was a huge influencer. Just have a look at the part Hollywood is said to have played in the rise of the Nazi movement, quite literally. But pop culture, including Hollywood and comics, also played a big part in the push against fascism. Captain America, who was created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, both of whom served. Jack Kirby received death threats for his work on Captain America. To say they were not influential in the light of these facts is to ignore history. X-Men was about racism at a time when you didn't talk about racism. Black Panther was a comment on colonisation, civil rights and what it is to not be white. And while the introductions of Black Panther are not always ideal, his character was groundbreaking and he is a character who has continued to break ground. Captain America was the patriot fighting the nationalists. Wonder Woman was specifically created as a feminist icon. And that's just Marvel. In the beginning of those characters and their stories, that's how they started. There were never begun with the sole intention of being meaningless tales for the amusement of children. You know how I know that? Because we never tell meaningless tales to children. And comics are the same. They have always had messages. Even if they didn't, let's pretend they didn't. They do now. They are for adults now. The way the internet is no longer the sole domain of nerds and people who watch porn. Please don't think too hard about that Venn diagram. Comics have long been used to inform us about the world, to sell ideologies and ways of being. And they continue to be a thread in that tapestry. And now, and now their messages are louder with regards to how the world works and how it should work. Now, whether you, whether you agree or not, whether you think there's a better way or not, if we encounter them, comics have ever been a shaping component of how our views are formed. Oh, but I've never read comics, you might. I don't know why in a 1920s newsreader voice, but maybe that's the way you choose to say that, which is fine on both counts. But the chances are people who then went on to create movies, soundtracks, books, or any other media you consume, and you consume other media, did read comics, or they were influenced by people who did. Eventually, comics, just as every other art form, has informed you. And people like Bill Maher find that concept terrifying. Because the idea that there's all these threads weaving their way into your thoughts, all these points of view and ideas that you didn't hold that have now maybe been planted in your mind, it means you didn't come up with it. Maybe you're not that original or unique. Or maybe you think that being influenced is to be weak-minded. 
It's not. It's to be human. Literally, we've been doing it for thousands of years. Comics is just another way for the world to seep into our brains, for those ideas to get in there, and it's our job to question it. Is Superman right or is Batman? Iron Man has the best of intentions, but he's driven by fear and anger. Is his duty to the greater good? Or is it really a duty or just an impulse? These are big ideas that comics present us with. Ideas and questions we have to answer because as sentient beings, that's what we do. We question these simulations, these mirror universes where we see ourselves and others. Bill Maher's ideas are small and insignificant. And while they have the potential to spread, they'll never grow and likely never will he. He will remain the same yelping, attention-craving fraud he is because he's so frightened that something might be bigger than him. I doubt he'll ever take a step back to see a bigger picture because it will never benefit him to do so. And it certainly will never benefit him if anyone who ever listens to his constant stream of off-cuts and waste decides to step back and think bigger either. That's why people like him write trash like that. And people like Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko created art. So don't worry about them, player two. I mean, worry about them, but not that much. Come on, let's go talk about She-Ra. Player two, over here. We're in the whispering woods of Eternia, which actually no one ever whispers in those woods. You ever notice that? Why are they called the whispering woods? I'm sure it's explained in like episode 395, Origins of the Whispering Woods, but you know, I, th- I think that should be explained up front, you know? Anyway, we're here because of She-Ra, the new Netflix series. You remember, there were some very loud, but I suspect not that many, upset She-Ra fans because they were, they were making the new She-Ra cartoon for people to enjoy, and some of the old fans of She-Ra were very super upset because the animation was not exactly the same, and also She-Ra has pants in this one. Now the new She-Ra is here, wearing pants. Most people don't actually mind, and they're like, oh, well, she's like, what, 13, 14? She should probably wear pants under that skirt, I guess. I like to think of myself as an impartial observer in all of this, because I didn't grow up with She-Ra. So I'm not biased by any feelings of nostalgia. That said, I'm also not the target audience, while also being a big fan of cartoons and animation in general. In other words, I have no horsey in this race, but I'm still sort of interested. In order to speak with some authority, but not in the way people do when they have no idea of gaining proper context, I watched some of the original She-Ra episodes and very much enjoyed them. It's what's now considered a more old-school animation style, but it's one I remember somewhat fondly. The hairstyles, the clothing, the movement of characters, the background, the choice of voices and voice actors, I mean, characterization is fully formed, plus the way the lines in the script are delivered. You can tell that no one's taking themselves so seriously as to not realise that this is just a bit of fun. And I really wasn't expecting that. Also, the outfits. I mean, wow. Just... How did no one see the gay agenda in that as well? Also, even if it wasn't meant, baby, it was there. So after a few episodes of original She-Ra, I figured it's time to get into this new She-Ra, completely forgetting that Noelle Stevenson is part of this entire thing and she's one of my absolute faves. So already, geared up to love it, and I did. I don't want to spoil it for you, player two, if you haven't had the chance to watch it yet, and also don't want to speak for the OG fans. If you like the originals, maybe this She-Ra won't be for you. Because it's not for you specifically, but, and I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, it makes it very clear it's not trying to replace the Shearer that so many grew up with and loved. The actual storyline, the timeline of events within the story, all point to it being something you can see as a continuation 
or a next chapter in the She-Ra storyline. It's not at all backwards and coming forwards as a She-Ra for the new generation, while also some little hints as to the She-Ra that came before. And it's about a younger generation too. It's got a lot of teen angst in there. There's a lot of trying to prove themselves, trying to do what's right, friends hanging out and working out where they fit in the world. That doesn't mean you can't watch it though, it just means maybe it's not written specifically for you in mind. There's also loads of LGBTQAI plus characters and relationships. It's funny. The animation is good. The voice acting is great. It's different from your She-Ra, but not so much that you can't find it in your heart to let this She-Ra in as well. Also, and again, trying not to spoil things, so I have to be a bit subtle with this hint, the way they deal with Catra, so far, haven't seen the whole series yet, her dealings with Hordrak and Shadow Weaver make a lot of sense. I hate it when they pretend someone is forced into being the bad guy, or when the bad guy commanders are obviously mean and horrible all of the time, but they're commanding incredibly powerful creatures and people who go along with it because of some kind of weird imposter syndrome. I never liked that with bad guys. It never sits right with me. The whole point of them being backstabbing nasty folk is because they have this overwhelming sense of confidence and and right to do what they're doing, but also a loyalty to their commander. So I never understood why bad commanders continue to lead in that environment. You don't get to lead, and more importantly, you don't get to stay in power by treating all of the people around you like crap all of the time. If you did that, they'd rise up and get rid of you, especially if they're a group of backstabbers to begin with. It never made sense to me, and so far in She-Ra, they've actually addressed this part of it. Obviously, some of the main detractors of the animation have had very few, if any, good criticisms of the show. I would say that there's points where the jokes hit a little hollow for me, or I became frustrated by the characters, but that was more my reaction to them and what I wanted to see happen, rather than that being a real fault of what was going on. And there's more hits than misses with this animation, and where it misses the mark, I mean, everyone can. Not every animation can be Young Justice, which is amazing all of the time. Though through the script writing and animation of this, I think if they keep following the trajectory they're set on, they're going to get really close to being just as good as Young Justice, which is pretty much the pinnacle of what I think you want to be in animation. Though they'll do it in a fluffier way, which is also cool. Now, the main criticism I have seen about She-Ra mainly seems to be dude bros saying that real women don't look like that. I think mainly in relation to Scorpia, because the lady is built. I'm also sure there's some guys super upset about Glimmer as well. So, quick biology lesson. Uh, No women look like animated women, because for a start, most of them are 2D. That's animated women, not real women. Also, that's not how clothes work. You know how you can see the boob line in Shadow Weaver's clothes in original She-Ra? That doesn't happen that way in that sort of clothing in real life. Also, women aren't generally princesses. We don't get to ride unicorns and have magical swords or zappy powers. Also, most of us don't have scorpion claws or tails or turn into cats. Don't think we're not working on it. We are. Why do you think we've been having sleepovers, girls' nights, and women's only gyms? It's just because we're trying to get ripped and get scorpion-y as Scorpia. The other criticisms of the new She-Ra is that it has a gay agenda. And yes, it does. Like, completely. That's why I'm going to keep watching it. It's freaking delightful. I love it. Just like the original She-Ra. That had a gay agenda, too. Like I said before, they may not have meant it to, but it did. 
Now, if you're watching the new She-Ra and loved it, take down the names of the writers and animators and go and look at their stuff. For me, Noelle Stevenson is always going to be a fave. She did uh, Lumberjanes and Nimona, and I've talked about that before in The Land of Pod. The two very cool stories, which I think are pretty kid-friendly, while also highly recommended for the Rainbow Kids in your life, especially. And if you don't like the new She-Ra player too, that's okay. The Originals is also on Netflix, so you can re-watch it, watch them both together, and love it all. Isn't it cool we've got new animation? Speaking of old things becoming new and me ruining them, let's go to Greendale. Come in, player two, sit down. We are going to get ourselves some milkshakes, obviously not the dairy kind, because you know how I feel about that. Also, because of the things we're about to talk about, that will become clear very shortly, but we're here at Dr. Cerberus's to dissect the Sabrina series, the way the kids do in the first episode. I thought I thought that would be fun. I, I don't know how to have friends. Is this what friends do? Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the Netflix series, has landed. It took me some time to watch it in that it took me a day to watch it, but it's taken me even longer to unpack it. I was a bit worried that this was going to be terrible. Unlike She-Ra, I did grow up with Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or most specifically, Melissa Joan Hart. I watched her in Clarissa Explains It All, and then I watched her become a teenager again in Sabrina because Melissa Joan Hart doesn't age. She's not a witch. She's obviously a vampire. Or maybe she's a witch. Sometimes those don't age either. I'm confused. If you're thinking to yourself, well, that's weird. Wasn't it weird to see an adult playing the part of a teenager? And I'm glad you asked, because no, it was not. We largely didn't question it. What we did do was set ourselves up to some pretty weird expectations about our body's skin and hair while going through puberty, because we were watching people who'd already gone through that hormone explosion, playing people who were going through that hormone explosion. That's why most people lost their collective minds when they saw a young lady playing Kim Possible in the live action and said she didn't look sassy enough because we don't know what actual 15 year olds look like. When your teenage years are spent watching Sabrina the Craft, Buffy and other teenagers played by adults, you develop a pretty warped sense of goalposts. More warped than they would be anyway because even when these kids are the right age, they have specialised people to help them get rid of pimples and all you've got is some toothpaste that you're smearing onto an ever-growing blind pimple hoping that it will do something before the school photo day. Back to the main point, Sabrina was a favourite of mine to watch, but Sabrina, like many others, didn't start in television. It started in comics. Archie comics to be precise. Sabrina Spellman and her town of Greendale all exist in the same universe as those lovable all-American kids like Archie, Veronica, Betty and Jughead in Riverdale. She's a half-witch, her dad's a warlock and her mum was a human lady and that caused all kinds of problems. In the original TV show these problems were a bit of teenage angst but about as high stakes as its no doubt influential predecessor, Bewitched. Cute blonde lady with amazing powers has to make decision between choosing between fulfilling her potential or marrying some cute guy who's not overly smart. But it's a nice problem to pretend that you might have one day. But you won't. In Netflix series, it's a bit more high in the Netflix series, it's a bit more high stakes than that. It's not family friendly at all. Pretty dark. But I do think it's teenager friendly. Sabrina not only has to choose between cute boy and unspeakable power, she has to choose what to do with her eternal soul. And what teenager hasn't had to face that choice? Before we get into why I have a problem with this as someone who's a pagan, let's look at all the good stuff. The characters 
Amazing. The Weird Sisters are the baddie popular girls at the Unseen School and so much fun. All of the bad characters are deliciously so and all of the good characters are people that I would have loved to have actually hung out with at school. Sabrina and her friends are the basic Scooby Gang configuration of Buffy, but they're unpopular for reasons that actually exist. I mean, I loved Willow for loads of reasons, but Susie actually looks more like a character I could identify with as a teenager. Rosalind is a character I would have definitely wanted to be friends with and created a club with. And Sabrina and Harvey? Ah, oh, there's Sabrina and Harvey. It's actually kind of boring. And I fast forwarded through a lot of their conversations. But Harvey's acceptance of Sabrina's friends, his emotional intelligence not to whinge and whine when they start a women's club at school is very refreshing. I'd like to see Harvey creating a club where men can go and uh, bond without all the toxic masculinity, but maybe that's for season two. There's so much good in this series. I know some people feel a bit uneasy about this stuff though, because Susie is a character who obviously has some questions about who they are and where they fit. There are gay characters as well, and I know this all seems like a sudden explosion in this gay agenda that's only being done to tick some boxes, but it's not. For a start, LGBTQAI plus characters have always been in pop culture. They've just been hidden or less out. Plus, I think this younger generation, not to sound like an old fogey, but they're more open to exploring who they are at an earlier stage. Most of us did wait until we we're out of high school. They're not waiting. That's really wonderful. So yes, we're going to see more of this. Not because it's new, but because it's always been the way and now we're at a point in our society where we can show it again. Because might I remind you that back in my day, we did have Priscilla Quint back in my day while it was possibly more dangerous to come out, no matter who you were. We also had Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Tu Wong Fu, the L word, clueless. Yes, the gay characters in that. And many others. That's just the stuff within the general public view. It's before you get into animations like Sailor Moon or in comic books. So it's not actually that groundbreaking as we took two steps forward and then one step back and now we're stepping forward again. I do get that these changes like this can be scary and it feels like a lot, but it's not a lot. And it's not scary. It's awesome. If you feel uncomfortable with the characters in this new Sabrina, then it's more important than ever that you watch these stories unfold so you can really ask yourself why you feel that discomfort, why you're feeling so protective about what you think should be shown on television or how characters need to be. These stories aren't just for people to be seen for themselves, but for you to see everyone too. And I promise, it will not hurt you. It can only serve to inform you. I do, however, have an issue with this series. And that's how it depicts witches. Because for something that is so open and wonderful at portraying people who are usually marginalised and usually pushed to the side, it gets this pretty wrong. It's basically saying uh, that all witches are in league with Satan, uh, though the reference to the witch is pretty clever. It shows them eating human flesh, even a kid at one point. There's a whole lot of for the love of Satan and talking about the false Christian god. These are pretty old tropes about witches, and my problem with it is how it's going to shape perceptions of around witches now. While there's some good points it's making about fanaticism and dogma, it also threatens to undo a lot of work done by actual witches. Because yes, witches exist, and the vast majority aren't prescribing to the Christian system on either side. 
But shows like this that perpetuate the belief make it that much harder for those of us who aren't part of any of the Abrahamic religions to actually discuss our beliefs when the subject comes up. If it seems like I'm overreacting, and perhaps I am, it's likely to do with the fact I have literally spent far too long explaining to far too many people that I don't worship Satan and I have no interest in sacrificing or eating babies. Here's the first reason I wouldn't worship Satan. I don't follow the Christian belief system, so therefore Satan doesn't exist in my belief system. And I've had to have these discussions because of shows like this newest Sabrina. The show is also, in a sense, justifying witch hunts that took the lives of thousands of women and children, and possibly quite a few men, across the globe. It's saying that, yeah, there's a genuine and real threat of these agents of Satan, and maybe the people in the towns had a point. Because look at this. The witch hunts actually happened. People's lives were lost because of, ironically, a widespread hysteria. It's... Ironic to use the word hysteria because the ailment of hysteria was originally diagnosed as basically a lady's problem. It's because of our wombs or something, something about women becoming more, like, emotional. Sometimes women were reported to have been forced to have hysterectomies to help them get better. And witch hunts were largely focused on um, attacking women. So back to them. Which ones, you might punnily ask? I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you used puns. This is why we're friends, player two. Witch hunts have happened throughout history and the world, from ancient Greece to even modern day. We have women being put on trial for magic. And I'm not talking in metaphors here, even though women are regularly put on trial by society for their magical lady bits and ways. It's fun. But basically, where there's a Bible, there's a woman to be burned. That's not to say it's always been people in authority doing this. There's been kings and popes alike who've been like, hey guys, seriously, stop hunting witches. It was just a bad year, that's why your crop failed. But that kind of thought only lasted for as long as they didn't see witchcraft as being a helpful tool to persecute people. I mean, they used witches to help persecute people. They used the idea of witchcraft to persecute people. Take the Cathars, for instance. They're my favourite Christian offshoot group of all time. They were the lucky targets of Inquisitions and, of course, an entire crusade. The Crusades aren't the same as the witch hunts, no. The Crusades were basically when persecution went from amateur to professional. And the Crusades are the basic rule book for how to persecute pretty much anyone. And yeah, sure, it had definitely been done before, but the Crusades really... They really perfected the art of persecution and terror of anyone who's different. You can see how this might relate back to witches. So, I'm going to tell you about the Cathars. Also, I find them wildly interesting, and this is my only chance I get to talk about them. First off, they were vegan. Kind of. But probably more historically relevant, they were opposed to the Catholic Church. They believed that the Catholic Church was a false representation of the Christian God, and they were gaining popularity in quite a few places, even though their rules were pretty strict. You weren't allowed to eat animals, eggs, or dairy, because all of those were seen as products of sex. You also weren't allowed to have sex out of marriage, which is pretty standard for Christian religions. But they were like, look, we don't want you to have sex at all. If you're going to, do it in marriage, but sparingly, because we don't want you to have too many kids. If you have kids, that's bringing one more soul into the world, which is obviously hell. We're all in trouble for that time Adam and Eve ate those apples once, which weren't actually apples, but anyway. They did have some ways to get into heaven from this place called hell, which involved uh, taking a sort of last rites and being absolved of all of their human sin. But even that was complex. Still, P. 
people signed up. Because, well, they were kind of egalitarian as well. In a very cool take, women were basically equals within the Cathar church. The Cathars didn't preach. If you wanted to be one of them, you just went along to one of the meetings. And from what I've read, they weren't very demanding that everyone be one of them. They just hoped you would be because this was hell. Also, they, uh, they didn't pay tithes to the Catholic Church, which you can imagine how annoyed the Catholic Church was to have that happen. That was surprisingly cool about it, though, and figured, nah, look, let everyone just do their own thing. Majority of people are Catholic anyway, it's pretty much the law right now. We'll just let this one slide and put our resources into helping poor people not be so poor. I'm kidding, they totally had an entire crusade about the whole thing, and thousands, if not millions, were not only brutally slaughtered by Templar knights, but horribly tortured as well. This is kind of the Catholic Church's deal for a while as well, so don't be too surprised. What was one of the ways they could justify torturing and murdering these people that most people kind of liked, though? Well, heresy. And heresy is kind of like the, the grandfather of witchcraft charges. And when I say most people kind of liked the Cathars, I'm not exaggerating. The town of uh, Beziers was besieged in 1209. It wasn't a strictly Cathar population either. There were Catholics there. And the Catholics of the town were given a choice. Guys, leave. Let us kill the Cathars. The Catholics refused and fought alongside their Cathar neighbours. Apparently, Onard Ormery, who was the abbot commander, because heck yeah, the Catholic Church had an entire army. Of course it did. You can't mount huge crusades where you go and kill everyone you suspect of not being a good Christian without loads of people who will also bring you back the spoils of war. Anyway, things started getting dicey because in fighting, it's not always easy to work out who is who. I mean, people all look basically the same in this instance. There were apparently times when those in a crusade actually killed actual Catholics, but assumed they weren't Catholic because they were the wrong colour and speaking the wrong language. Aren't you glad times have changed? So anyway, the army is besieging Beziers and they have a problem. They can't justifiably kill everyone in the town because some of them are Catholics and God likes Catholics. That's why this is all allowed. To which the abbot commander apparently responds, and this is contentious, he may not have done this, but it kind of feels like this is something these guys would say. Kill them all the Lord will recognise his own. So, what happens next? Well, I don't want to go into the dicey details, but the accounts place the death count at about 7,000 men, women and children from the town slaughtered. And this wasn't the only time the Cathars came under the fire. And they weren't the only ones. Seriously, look into the Crusades. There's a lot we could learn from that. But I don't think you have to be a historian or an anthropologist or really anyone with a whole heap of book learning to draw the conclusion that this kind of process, this allowance of large-scale murder and torture that is justified at least in part way by saying, but, but they believe the wrong thing, which later evolved into, but, but, but witchcraft, it ha must have had some trickle-on effect to the witch trials we're all familiar with today. Of course, in Sabrina, they focus heavily on the Salem-style witch trials because America. But it happened all across the world. So what does this fascinating but seemingly off-topic rant have to do with a Netflix show? Well, if your show is based heavily on witches and you're portraying them as actually being evil that deserved being tortured, drowned, hung, burnt at stakes, all because of really religious beliefs, then you should probably invest some time in exploring the history of the accusations that led to this treatment. Maybe not as far back as the Crusades, maybe you don't even have to focus on the Cathars. 
They weren't the only ones getting this bad treatment, but at least look at the fact that of the over 30,000 deaths across Europe, far too many of them were children, by the way, and trust that the people being accused were not regularly the rich and powerful either, though that was one good way to get rid of a powerful woman you didn't like. Maybe invest some time in that. In Europe, the last recorded witch trial and death was in 1811 in Prussia. And laws against witchcraft when we stopped using them to kill people have been still used to incarcerate and otherwise subdue people like the Romani. And it's still happening to this day across many cultures and countries. Witch hunts are still a real thing, so that's a problem. I don't know, you might be thinking, yeah, but that happened somewhere else. That's not my issue. Oh, boo-boo. But... It is, if only for the fact that only in the 60s was the Witchcraft Act here in my home state repeal and laws against divination in other states in my country, that's really only a few years ago that those were repealed. Apparently, Witchcraft Act, still technically on the books in Ireland. And I get it, this Sabrina thing is a TV series. I shouldn't take it so seriously. But first, have you met me? The whole point of this land of pod is for me to do this. And second... I literally just got back from visiting a memorial to the hundreds of women in Edinburgh who lost their lives due to witch hunts. Thousands lost their lives in Scotland alone when King James VI was in power. Women were tortured. They were sent to terrifying deaths, all because of public perceptions and bias against what they were doing. And what they were doing, usually, was just living their lives, sometimes in resistance to what was the norm even in the smallest of ways, and then they were killed. And to justify those deaths, to say those people, while nasty, maybe had a point, because look at this witchcraft threat. That doesn't sit well with me. As a side note, if after hearing all of this you feel the need to contact me so we can talk about how Christians are the worst, please don't. Christians, in my experience, are usually pretty nice people, or just normal people. The problem isn't their faith, it's what some do in the name of it. And the majority of Christians are peaceful people who, yes, are concerned for my eternal soul, but that's a nice thing. And they're just generally trying to get through the day like the rest of us. Just like everyone else with a belief system. And perhaps in the new Sabrina Netflix, they're going to show that the Church of Night is just one aspect of a belief, or one aspect of power. But they didn't do that in the first series. It looks pretty set in stone. And that's going to be a major problem for me. Because if this series can be so good at showing people who are persecuted, even in the micro-society that is high school, why couldn't it look at the actual people who were also persecuted in the past and could still be persecuted now? Look, I'm going to recommend Sabrina, but I also recommend you make sure you watch it with a critical eye. No one can get everything right, and I don't expect this to. But because it does get it right, because there's so much to love about it, I wish they'd worked on those problematic things. Because they've shown that they can see them, and I don't know why they had the blind spot here. Anyway, I liked it. And I hope you will too, player two. Come on, let's head back to the tavern. These, these milkshakes are nice, but I need some orc beer. I'll play too. That's it. If you have anything you want to talk to me about, any corrections, don't. I, uh, in meat space, I'm small and squishy and have a tiny little ego that is so very, very fragile. But if you want to leave me glowing reviews, you can do it on whatever the podcatcher is that you're listening to. Uh, you can also head to the Kitty M Facebook page. There's also a Land of Pod Facebook page. And you can find me on the internet. 
and you can find me on Twitter at ChaosKittyM. It's been fun, Player 2. We should, we should do this again. Until next time, Player 2.